HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. Hey, this is Hannah Forden. I'm the program manager here at Heritage Radio Network. This year, we're celebrating HRN's 10th anniversary, and I want to thank all of our listeners and members for being a part of an incredible year of food radio. We never would have made it this far without all of you. So HRN is now in its summer fund drive, and this is when we turn to you and ask that you make a donation to help ensure a bright future for food radio. Whether you listen to one show or 20, there's a reason why you keep tuning in week after week. All of our content is powered by a small nonprofit, and we rely on your generosity to keep going. Help us keep broadcasting the most thought-provoking, entertaining, and educational conversations happening in the world of food and beverage. So become a member today. To celebrate our 10th anniversary, we have some brand new member gifts available online, so I encourage you to snag your new favorite pizza-themed t-shirt or enamel pin today and show the world how much you love HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate so you can snag your 10th anniversary member swag. And thank you. It's five o'clock somewhere and somewhere is Bushwick. It's technically four o'clock, but we're being early birds today because we have a very important event coming up that we have to get ready for. Early bird gets the beer. It's true. Um, my name's Kai Johnson. I'm the communications director here at HRN here with my co-host Katie Mosman-Wadler. Hey, Kat. As Happy well. Thursday. Happy Thursday. Hannah Ford and our program manager. It's a very moist Thursday. <laughs> moist. It's very sticky moist it, 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 indeed, indeed. <laughs> uh, we got some great company here in the studio today, though. We also have our fabulous intern, Oscar Belkin Sessler. Welcome, Oscar. What's up? Shout it out. Hello. And Amanda in the booth making us sound great. Hello. Um, and we have a bunch of special guests um, and somebody who is uh, holding the fort for our guest who's about to arrive as well. Why don't we just have everyone introduce themselves so that we hear everyone's voices and we know who's talking when? That's a that's a, okay. a strategy for how to do this. Okay, great idea. Okay, Barry, we'll start, we'll with, start Barry. with you. Um, Barry LeBenz from Kent Falls Brewing. I'm Noah Bronstein from Never Sink Spirits. I'm Yoni Rubino from Never Sink Spirits. 
And we have a surprise guest who we don't Hi. even know. Hi, I'm Blake Blake Jackson from Austin, Texas. Oh, hey, Blake. what's up, Austin? Blake, have you had pizza yet today? No, but we just ordered it, and it's going to be awesome. Awesome. I've had drinks um, and salads, though. Well, thank you for popping into the studio. Uh, what brings you into Heritage Radio Network today? Well, I just out of the blue was hanging out with my friend and I decided I needed to take a lap around the place and I walked towards the window and I saw y'all sitting here and it was one of the most interesting and epic uh, surprises I've ever seen and I got really excited and uh, through the glass uh, uh, motioned if I could come in there and y'all thought I was someone named David <laughs> David's coming not. later yeah she told me she asked if I was David too and I said no and uh, so uh, I got really excited and asked if I could come in, and she said it was okay. And now I'm sitting here holding, uh, I'm warming a seat for David. Cool. So, um, well, I, sh- I feel like we should tell you a little bit about what's going on. Where this is a great opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So, Who um, are Heritage we? Radio Network is where you're sitting right now. We're a nonprofit organization. We have been in this shipping container inside Roberta's for 10 years, and we are a food podcast network. So, we have 35 weekly podcasts about food and beverages and agriculture and everything that is delicious. Delicious and makes our world and bellies turn. This is the best thing all day. Y'all are awesome. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for doing what you do. This is phenomenal. We're so glad that you joined us. Today. Yes, me too. I have a, a re- I have really <laughs> My good. My friend's probably wondering where I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> he has no idea. You're becoming yeah. famous right now. And we have good news for you. We're having a happy hour right after this show. You should stay and hang out with your friends here. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. totally down. Come out to the tent outside. And you want to know what we're going to be drinking? Uh, some type of alcohol. And it's by these guys. Oh. Alcohol that they awesome. made. Awesome. Do you guys want to talk so, about it? I'm so interested to hear about these people sitting to my left. <laughs> so, uh, we brought a, so Kent Falls is a farm brewery up in, uh, northwest Connecticut, in Kent. And, uh, we brought a pilsner here, uh, called Yeesh. It's nice. It's good for a hot, semi muggy day. Um, what did you guys bring? Um, so Never Sink Spirits, we make, uh, distillates out of New York grown fruit and we brought our, our flagship product which is a uh, apple based gin never sink gin today I think they're making a delicious spring summer cocktail with it I hear it's gonna be a Tom Collins <gasps> that sounds like one of my favorites so. <laughs> yes and if you and your friends stay and you buy some of these delicious drinks the money goes to support our mission and what's more <laughs> we're also selling a lot of cookbooks for real cheap. Do you need souvenirs to take back to Austin? Always. There you go. Yeah. All right. And and Bye-bye. I just wanted to add, I really love gin. We just got into gin martinis, and the first time I got drunk was on uh, apple liqueur from like Germany. So I'm super excited to try this apple gin. <laughs> this is it's just like it's the be. two best things I could possibly imagine. <laughs> so some friends of mine in Austin make uh, apple pie schnapps uh, type thing. Oh, so boy. it's really good. Uh, uh, I won't say who because I think it's uh, underground or something. But oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, now Fresh we have legal apple pie schnapps. Thank you for having me. Y'all have an awesome show. Thank you. Thank so you. Much. We'll see you. We'll see you after. Yeah. Oh well, that what a treat, Blake. Blake, yes. everybody. Blake, Blake from Austin, Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. Pleasure having you. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> oh boy. Draw my car all the way up. <laughs> <laughs> um, Where were we? Uh, guys, that's cool. That. Uh, I think that's like our first HRN party crasher. I for, not HR. Sorry, no, 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 no. Definitely not the first. First HRN happy hour. So you guys crasher. were very nervous about what was going to happen, and I think it was delightful. <laughs> I'm kind of nervous because I feel like I just got shown up. Like there's no way I can. 
energy kind of level. Live, Come on, guys. Yeah, at the energy level oh. and the way you guys kind of handled that, and we're like, well, why don't we tell you about what we do here? <laughs> it all was almost a little too perfect. We planted him. We planted him. He's a plant. Blake um, is fake. Maybe. Hashtag fake Blake. He's our <laughs> intern Blake. Oh, hey. And now he's bringing his friends, friends over to say hello. We're going to wave. Um. <laughs> this is just so good. They, yeah. I wish they were sitting at the awkward date table so I they could know. just hang out all we day. We can make it so much more can awkward. Can I just apologize real quick? Because I had no idea that was supposed to happen. Oh, no. Oh, no. We told good. him to come like, in. Yeah, we, we we waved. I was trying to, like, send you wave messages through the glass. Okay, okay. It's all good. Um, Don't well, worry, Amanda. Get... You're not in trouble for that. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, officially now everybody knows that our shipping container is, like, pretty low security, so... <laughs> 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 we welcome future HR and happy hour crashers within reason, um, but uh, you, you too can have your five seconds of fame. Yeah. Um, I want to... We have a couple quick announcements, but I wanted to say that earlier today, I just have to give a shout-out. I went to an event um, at the at Henry at the Life Hotel, J.J. Uh, Johnson's restaurant in Midtown. Um, he and Todd Richards from Atlanta... We're hosting a lodge um, launch of their new uh, line of lightweight cast iron pans. And they made some really incredible bites. And, of course, if anyone knows Todd Richards, one thing you should know about him is that he drinks champagne every day for breakfast. And so, of course, there was champagne. So I had champagne for lunch. That's where, that's where my headspace is at. Yeah. Um, it was awesome. I had to give a shout-out to them and the lodge team that came up from Tennessee. Um I also think we should give a quick shout out about our membership drive, which is why we're having our happy hour today after the show. Yes, indeed. We wanted to offer uh, a way to um, drink your love of food radio. Mm. Um, so That's a good tagline. Yeah. Drink it in. Drink it. Drink it up. So, um, yeah, we're having, as we were telling Blake, we're having... <laughs> What day is it? Okay. <laughs> we're having a very special happy hour. And again, our amazing guests were generous enough to donate products. So um, I don't think we're basically offering them for like close to free um, because we want everyone to be able to enjoy the deliciousness that is Ken Falls um, beer and Never Sink Spirits gin. Um, and also it's just a great way to come and meet other people who care about food and care about drink and care about community. Um, so like we said, we have amazing cookbooks on offer, but if you are not in Brooklyn and you can't come, we'll miss you, but there are so many other ways that you can support HRN. Um, our summer membership drive is going to wrap up at the end of this month and there is still time to show your support. You can go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate and make a donation of any amount to just show us that you want us to keep on making the best food radio out there. Um, we have some really awesome new member gifts to celebrate our 10th anniversary. So check those out and I will send you a handwritten note. So mm. not to brag. <laughs> she writes a nice note though. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention is if you follow us on Instagram, go check out our new story highlight where we went on a crazy pizza crawl with Peter Reinhardt and Scott Wiener of Scott's Pizza Tours, who's, like, pretty famous in the pizza community. Um, it was epic. It was kind of insane. I'm a little, like, still a little uncomfortable. Yeah. We had pizza for dinner four times. Favorite pizza, go. Oh, that's... Uh, I can't, I can't... I mean, I mean, Scars, like, gets the overall fan favorite. Scars gets my favorite, too, and because also they have Lambrusco. And Lambrusco mm. is the perfect pizza wine, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so check out our pizza crawl instagram story 
Last announcement. Be, be jealous, but also go to all of those go. restaurants because they were all Scars, fabulous. Una, Violet, and Ops. Mm-hmm. All are out of this world. Last announcement. Next week, we're heading to Denver for Slow Food Nations. If you are in Denver, if you're going to be in Denver, come to our very exciting podcast launch event with our friends at the New Food Economy. We are launching your dream food news podcast. If you know the New Food Economy, they have an incredible newsroom. They break some of the most important stories about food, and they're going to be bringing that to audio, um, teaming up with us. We're going to have a dinner with Alon Shia at Softa in Denver. We're going to have wine by Robert Sinsky, by Wolfer, beer from Crooked Stave in Denver. We also have wine from Kane. Wine from Kane. We have, um, we're going to have a whiskey cocktail from Golden Moon Distillery. Um, a four-course family-style dinner by Alon Shia with featuring Colorado lamb. It's going to be incredible. Alice Waters will be there, just saying. No Dana deal. Cowan will be there, just saying. And it's going to be epic. And then if you're going to be at Slow Food Nations, come see us. We're going to be downtown at Larimer Square Saturday and Sunday interviewing people, including Alice Waters, including Chris Starkis from Urban Farmer in Denver. We'll be there all, all two days. And then... All two of them. All two days. And then... I don't know if you're if if you like us, if you know my email, like send me an email. I'll give you an invite to our after party. That's all I'm saying. That's right. Send us an email. At me, DM me. Um, Find us. You can do it. That's all I got. Those are my announcements. Okay. Well, we have some headlines to get through, and then we're going to dive into our interview with our amazing beverage guest today. There's our headline music. Okay, guys, this week on Opening Soon, Jenny and Alex were joined in the booth by two truly amazing beverage professionals, also ladies who we love, Jordan Salcido and Ariel Arce. Jordan is a sommelier and winemaker, uh, also a regular on HR and Happy Hour, who, prior to creating her own canned wine spritzer, which you know as Ramona, ran the beverage programs at Momofuku in New York City. And Ariel is an authority in the drink world, and she's the owner of four really incredible wine and champagne-specifically focused spots. She's got Tokyo Record Bar, Air's Champagne Parlor, Niche Niche, and Special Club. So whether you're opening a restaurant, trying to improve an already existing one, or just interested in wine and other beverages, this episode is for you, and both guests bring tons of insight and advice on building that successful beverage program. On the beverage theme, on the most recent episode of Cooking Issues, Dave and Anastasia were joined by Jeremiah Stone and Fabian Von Hosk of Contra Wild Air and an upcoming pair of wine establishments. Teaser. They talk natural wine, the ins and outs of liquor licensing in New York City, and together get in the way back machine for tales of their past lives at the French Culinary Institute. Plus, Dave tells the story of that one time when a stepfather ruined Christmas with wine futures. I don't know what that means, but I can't wait to find out. Stocks and wine. Yes, something (laughs) happened. Um, Okay, so a couple weeks ago, we were lucky enough to, uh, actually, Oscar and myself were lucky, and you guys joined as well, but we did many, many interviews at Good Food. All I did was eat. Yeah, (laughs) I did that too. So we did some really, really, we had so much fun at Good Food Mercantile um, in Brooklyn at the Brooklyn Expo Center in Greenpoint. Um, And for anyone who loves good food as much as you love grocery samples, it was heavy. Because you could basically go and walk between tables um, of some of the most incredible makers of food, of cheese and charcuterie and um, crackers and chocolates and anything you can imagine. It was so fun. Yeah. We saw our friends from Stonecutter Spirits there. Um, Shout out to our Shaxx Kemp friends. Um, So everything we saw in it was amazing. And we got to sit down with some of the most 
fascinating and lovely makers there, like our friends at Cowgirl Creamery and Charlita's Cocina and Acme Smoked Fish. It was heaven. So you can check those interviews out um, by searching for Heritage Radio Network on tour wherever you listen to podcasts. Dope. Oscar, highlight of Good Food Mercantile? You were really making the rounds. There are far too many, but I went to Stonecutters and I, I drank a bunch and then I did an interview afterwards and that was really fun. And nice. then I got offered a job by that people, by those people. <laughs> shout out, shout out Dram uh, out of Colorado. Did a drunk interview with them. Got me a job offer. I don't know how that works, but. Thank you for the career advice. <laughs> I am glad it was a success for you, Oscar. Can't wait to hear. We told them they can't have you. <laughs> Until you go back to school. That's fine. Uh, back to Colorado. Okay. So I think we should get into the interview now. And I think that we should start with trying some beverages. So. Oh, Ooh, good that? ice sound. Mm. Mm. Let's crack that bottle open. <laughs> yeah. Barry's yeah. going to be our new sound effects guy. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, hell right. yeah. All right, Barry, tell us what we're drinking today. So we are drinking a beer called Tiny House. It's a beer we make once a year uh, in the late fall at our annual hop harvest and pig roast. So the brewery being on a 50-acre farm in the past, we've raised chickens and pigs for uh, eggs and meat. Uh, And we have a little hop yard. We have a little hop yard. And uh, (laughs) we... Every year have people over who uh, come help us pick the hops. We're brewing a batch of beer uh, right during the festival. So they go right in. And uh, from there we ferment it with a mixed culture of yeast and bacteria. So every year we do a collaboration. This one is done with uh, Casa Agria and Yeast of Eden out in California. And, uh, Did you say Yeast of Eden? Yeast of Eden. Nice. It's really, clever. It's really, yeah, it's very clever. <laughs> and, um, Love a yeast pun. Yeah, it's, uh, it's New York-grown uh, Endeavor barley, some wheat, and then fresh hops from our farm. So really nice, 4%. Mm, it's delicious. Fresh. Very fresh. Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. Can we, can we see your label? Yeah. Okay, I have a question because I was reading up How beautiful. on your website. Um, what is it that sets a farmhouse ale apart from something else we might be drinking? Because that's really what you're known for, right? So it's, I think, what we like to make the most. The, it's really a broad category. So there's, uh, it's mostly driven by yeast. So there's um, kind of clean saisons that I think now are defined by, like, Saison DuPont and a lot of uh, Blagy and a lot of... Um, beers along that profile, and now farmhouse is kind of the more mixed culture, generally acid or with some acidity in it, um, so it's a more wild fermentation, uh, I guess you would say. I like to think that it has something where it's connected to an actual farm, um, whether, you know, but it, it gets into a very kind of, every, yeah, everybody's yeah, going to have like a very that. different opinion, and yeah. Well, we have a brand new guest in the studio joining us now, uh, David Carr. Hello, David. Hi. Uh, This is the real David now. This is the real David. (laughs) David, you missed a whole bunch of crazy in a very good way. We'll have to fill you in later. Gotta catch up. Looks like you guys have fun. Uh, David, you're from Goyaki. That's correct. 
Guayaquil. Am I saying that right? You said it right. Brea gave me a very good lesson on um, on how to pronounce. It's like why a key if you're at a door, but yeah. Guayaquil. Guayaquil when the door's unlocked. <laughs> there you go. Or so you more, have it. or more essentially, why here? Yeah, that's what I thought. Oh. Yeah. Why now? Um, so David, tell us a little bit about Guayaquil, how it got started, and uh, what you're what you're in town for this month. Uh, hi. Well, those are two separate questions, but I'll start with I'm in town uh, sharing the story of Guayaquil and our 23-year journey. It's been over a couple different events. We had a, something with North Brooklyn Farms earlier in the week where we brought together Permaculture Out Action Network and Kiss the Ground and Guayaquil and had a farm table dinner on the farm. It was beautiful, right below the bridge. Really talking about regenerative agriculture. So that was a really good way to get people together. Cool. Uh, what's the connection between regenerative ag and um, Guayaquil, the product specifically? Right. Well, Gu- Guayaquil's product, Yerba Mate, is a rainforest tree. And even though 90% of mate is grown as a commodity in South America, like sun-grown, its original habitat is the rainforest. And so you can grow it. We're reintroducing it back into its native habitat and growing it sustainably below its rainforest canopy, and then using it as an income driver to start reforesting areas next to it. So, you know, the uh, all of our projects are agroecology in nature. So, what does that really mean? It means we're having like a regenerative farming project inside of a rainforest, and we have three different models. We have the models where there's either been sun-grown mate where they've just done it the normal way, like the, most of the industry where it's just grown with chemicals in the sun because you get a, a bigger yield and it grows faster. And we've reforested those areas by bringing in like the fast-growing fruit trees and it tracks the birds and the birds eat the fruit and then they poop and then trees start growing. And so with the one project we started that we took over in the sun about 15 years ago, uh, it's already turned back into a secondary rainforest, and that's where we have our agroecology foundation. The other two examples would be in, uh, let's say, Paraguay, where you have a big rainforest that's already there where the indigenous Guayaquil people live, and we've planted yerba mate in that forest, and then they harvest the mate, and we pay them a fair trade price for it. And the third example would be like in Brazil, where there still is wild forest left, and they go in, and they, they, they climb up the, the old mate trees, and they chop off the branches and it falls down and they like gather it and bring it to us. And so in every case, it's forest grown in its natural habitat. Awesome. And then, um, uh, so let's go over to, um, Noah and, um, Yoni. So tell us a little bit about never sink spirits and how you guys got the, got the spirits business started. Cool. Well, First off, little known or some somewhat known fact, um, Kent Falls and Neversink were actually sister businesses. We ah. were part of a, a cool collaborative uh, company called The Food Cycle, but more on that later. Um, but Noah and I, uh, we decided to uh, focus on spirits uh, made from New York-grown fruit. We really want wanted to make uh, spirits that had a sense of place and um, both grew up in New York State, um, figured a big focus of us would be apples, because obviously New York's such a big apple-growing state. Um, so we've been doing that for almost five years now, um, making all kinds of different things um, from from apples and other harvest fruits, and in some cases grain. But um, but yeah, tonight we're focusing on this this gin, which 
we had a lot of fun developing. It's um, a single orchard, 100% um, apple distillate from a farm in New York, and then uh, we use 11 botanicals that in, uh, interact really well with the apples and kind of highlight the apples. And um, so, yeah, we just like to kind of, through our spirits, give a shout out to, to all the good, uh, good stuff the farmers are doing. <laughs> are there other apple distillate gins on the market that we would know about or are you guys trailblazing there and like how would we know if we'd ever tried an apple gin before yeah there are a couple um uh there's uh there's a i believe copper and kings makes one from um kentucky yeah. and um uh, harvest spirits in new york makes one as well um the you know still uh you know 2019 almost all gins are made from grain spirit um and you can, and some of the best examples and some of the most famous examples of gin are, are made from grain. Um, but I've gotten really into kind of the, you know, gin's, gin's a fun category because the definitions vary, uh, allows for a lot of creativity and innovation. And so I've gotten really interested in tasting, um, tasting gins that use different, um, different base spirits um, and kind of how that, how that in, interacts with the botanicals. And so, so yeah, we've decided to kind of, you know, in addition to using apples, we've kind of gone gone all the way with it. We really, our botanical recipe is selected because of because it really emphasizes that, and so that's something we talk about a lot, and something that's really meaningful to us about about the process and the product. But yeah, we're not the we're not the only ones in the world. There's and, I, and we we love that people are doing uh, you know fruit based gins. It's awesome. Yeah. So when you guys are making gin from apples and you're thinking a lot about the place and the flavor of the apples and the terroir of the apple distillates, and then you start thinking about the botanicals, I'm curious sort of how you think about place in the story of putting that gin together. We, we've had conversations on HR and Happy Hour before talking about gin as sort of a spirit that is representative of travel um, and really because it's uh, often drawing on botanicals from all over the world and thinking about like spice trade routes and um, less so about being tied to like one specific place. So when you're thinking about the terroir of your apples, but then also what's going on with the botanicals, like what's kind of the story there for you? That's a great question, and I think that's like something we talk about, and is like kind of a, a con we're constantly evolving in terms of how we think about that kind of that kind of thing. But I would say a couple of things come to mind. I mean, so you know, there's a, di a few different approaches for uh, gins that want to reflect terroir. I think in some cases there's some really good examples of uh, gins that highlight um, kind of local botanicals. Um, you know, there's a couple from the West Coast that I, that come to mind that you know really kind of emphasize unique um, botanicals that grow in in the local area. Um, our approach has been a little different. We've kind of thought about it a little more, I, I guess, conceptually. We wanted to um, kind of recreate um, a taste of what we consider to be like people's associations with um, New York State apples and going apple picking and like home-cooked meals from, you know, New York State ingredients. And so we used a lot of the flavors that I think are familiar and um, kind of warm to people. And so things like um, cardamom and star anise and fresh citrus peel and all those things that kind of just, you know, recreate that, like, that association that people have with, you know, baked apples or cooked apples or apple picking or um, all those when you first started the project, did you think about doing just a cider, a more like direct sort of, or did you do a cider? Well, I think the first thing we did with the cider was um, 
we bought a lot of heirloom varietal apples. They were very expensive. <laughs> and we had a juice man. And I went on vacation, and Yoni and his wife juiced. Uh, how many how many juice men did you break in the process? Oh, yeah. Juice man, for anybody who doesn't know, it's one of those like really basic kitchen juicers. Um, oh, we yeah, we broke two or I think we ended up you, we ended up on our third juice man of the experience. By the time you know, a couple broke along the way. They're not meant for juicing that quantity. Of apples. <laughs> yeah, three hundred pounds of apples on a juice man doesn't really work. So yeah, that was all in an effort to make an apple eau de vie. So we started making ciders with the intention of making eau de vie. Um, cider was never the end game. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of great ciders, obviously, from New York, and like we're big fans uh, of ciders. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the whole apple, the whole community of, uh, of apple spirits, apple ciders, you know, beverages from apple um, in New York is amazing. And there's like a really nice um, kind of... Uh, collaboration and community there and so um, we love cider um, we love drinking it we love making it for fun sometimes but it's uh, we've decided to kind of ply our trade more on the spirit side of things yeah. um, and then Barry how, how did the three of you kind of originally meet and and you, you mentioned your kind of sister organizations but do you do any sort of also do you do any sort of like direct collaborations yeah so uh, I think it was two summers, two, three summers ago now, we produced a wash of single malt uh, with uh, New York grown, but malted at Valley Malt, uh, single, single wash, uh, or, which is, was fermented and then put into barrels and is still sitting, sitting in some barrels. So that's the only one that we've sent really down to you. But a lot of the barrels that come out from the distillery we end up uh, aging beer in. So we the 100th batch of beer that we did was a um, was a Grazer, a lightly smoked wheat. Uh, we made it into kind of a farmhouse ale, but uh, we put that in an apple brandy barrel, and it came out really, really nicely. We've got some Pomo barrels and whiskey barrels and uh, various other barrels that we've taken and uh, put beer into. And that uh, single malt that Barry's talking about, um, yeah, it's still aging away really nicely. And Hopefully everyone is gonna taste it when it's when it's all ready to go. Mm, it's a waiting game. Yeah. Um, David, I want to go back to you and get a little bit more of the backstory of Guayaquil and uh -huh. how you and your co-founder originally started this mm -hmm. business. That's now, I mean, Oscar was talking about how Guayaquil is very popular in uh, Colorado, where he goes to school. Yeah. Yeah, it's everywhere. Well, you know, twenty-three years ago, I. I met Ale, Alejandro. He's an Argentine. He was waiting tables at a restaurant in San Luis Obispo where we went to university. And uh, he invited me over for a barbecue just because we, like, you know, started talking. And then we, after the barbecue, he passed around the traditional mate gourd. Mm -hmm. And that's where it all happened for me because I had uh, I'd never seen that before or drank mate like that. And I, I grew up with really severe childhood allergies, shots in my arms for a decade. And I was told I was allergic to everything green. And took lots of drugs like Sudafed and Benadryl my whole life and I just kind of went cold turkey and all that when I moved to San Luis Obispo and just was really into surfing and mountain biking and yoga and I was just, exercise was the only thing that really made my head clear until that day when I drank the mate and I was all of a sudden like bro what is this stuff how come I've never heard about it like my head like cleared up and I could start to breathe and like physiologically I had like a really big response to it so for me it came first through like personal regeneration and then 
every time we got together and shared mate, I'd hear more about the story about how it was the drink of the gods, the most powerful rejuvenator known to man, how they didn't using it traditionally as the base of their medicine system in Paraguay, and then everything that could be done around reforestation and creating biological corridors between big projects. And so that part of me that was an idealistic in terms of getting into business and using business to drive change was the part that got really excited. And so we got into business then. One thing that strikes me that there's a commonality is like kind of this in all, in all three of the, of the beverages is like the desire to really um, like protect the ingredient that you're working with, whether it's farmhouse yeast or apples or mate. Um, I'm just curious to you guys how, how you think about that, how central it is to the kind of the mission of what you're producing and um, you know, what, what you hope for any of these ingredients, like how, how you're hoping to move them forward and, and protect them? I think the, you know, I think farmhouse yeast is what has traditionally classified a farmhouse ale. It's one of the main drivers. It's where a lot of styles will kind of take identification from. Uh, but there's no agricultural connection. You, we could make a spontaneously fermented beer with yeast from our farm, but that doesn't do any farm us good. It's just the brewery producing something with wild yeast. Um, you know, and I think you see, not to get into what other people are doing, but if somebody's making a farmhouse sale with malt from wherever, an industrial supplier, but they use a wild yeast, it's called a farmhouse sale. Like, some people are particular about that. Um, malt is really the uh, ingredient that I think in the Northeast, or at least uh, for my brewery, that I've become most attached to. Um, you know, talk about land conservation, keeping uh, acres of farming, uh, acres of farms in actual agriculture rather than development or whatever else it might be, um, or, you know, to some extent even agritourism. Um, you know, and you think about the scale that's required. Uh, I've run the numbers backwards to where in one of our IPAs it's about four square feet of barley, you know. So if you think wow. about how many acres it takes for a barley field to be viable, now you're talking about how many cans of IPA, let alone that sell quickly. Forget if you only make beers that don't sell as quickly like this. Um, you know, you're talking about the need to really have it be um, something that's widely done. If it's niche, the farmer's going to find hemp and try that out in a couple of years, and then you lose the ability to do the more interesting or whatever you want to call it, pet projects of smaller batches with hops from our farm and whatever it might be. So uh, I think that's really the... Uh, the the push where it's not just using it in stylistically appropriate beers. It's, you know, if it's a value you have, uh, I, we, we work with local malt in all of our beers from lagers that we're pouring outside to, excuse me, today to uh, our IPAs and pale ales and things we produce on a more regular basis. So I think we're probably all more familiar with um, some of the New York State incentives for local grains and specifically also supporting local malt houses because that's something that has historically been really hard. The, the availability just hasn't been there. So New York has been really incentivizing some of these businesses. Uh, what's Connecticut doing or, or not doing? Uh, how, how are you finding like the local malt available and, and is that something that could use more support? So it could definitely use more support. We're on the New York border, and it's kind of like we're six miles to freedom. Uh, <laughs> uh, Connecticut, 
uh, I lobbied and was kind of soapboxed about it for a long time, but uh, passed a farm brewery bill, which did a lot because it recognized that farms could have breweries. We had to go through two years of zoning or whatever it was and work with the state and custom fit our license. So the permit helped uh, kind of recognize that the two could be connected. Uh, but it didn't do anything to really incentivize uh, the growth of brewing and agriculture and that connection. Um, Connecticut has a malt, its first malt house now that were one of they're one of our two suppliers. It's actually the oldest family-owned farm in America. It used to be a big shade tobacco farm, uh, and barley is a cover crop for tobacco. Mm. So they were growing barley for generations and generations, and you know, the way the tobacco industry is growing, the um, you know guy in charge of the farm, Spencer, made the decision to pivot and grow malting barley instead of plowing it into the ground, you know, uh, turning it into the ground, and uh, has opened up a malt house, and he's making really great, high-quality malt that, uh, between Thrall Family Malt and Valley Malt, is uh, where we supply, uh, where we get all of our, our base grains, or all of our grains. You raise a really interesting point about the tobacco, um, which... And I think you said the tobacco industry is growing, which I would have intuitively... No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to clarify because I, I wondered actually, like, I would have thought of it super plummeting, but now with, like, the popularity of vaping and all of these, like, yeah. teenagers getting hooked on their jewels and um, I'm wondering if there was, like, some kind of resurgence going on. But no. So they're they're pivoting to focus more on the barley business, less on the tobacco. Yeah. the I think the prices for... From what I understand, you were saying, you know, it used to be on a broad leaf, you would have two cigars, one from each side. You know, you cut the leaf down the middle off the stem. Mm-hmm. Now, just the economics, it's not about the quality. It's, you know, a die cut into small cigarettes and the prices and everything that you're getting for it is, you know, like most commodities. Uh, when Connecticut Shade, which was the wrapper for, you know, almost all of the finest cigars in the world, the seed is now grown all over the place. And the only difference in, and again, this is from my understanding, in the tobacco industry between how we harvest tobacco now or grow tobacco now and 100 years ago is the labor cost. So any place that you can do it cheaper is going to win out. So uh, that's one of the, I think, driving forces to where looking for other crops. And, you know, it's you, you whether I, yeah, I think it's whether it's a good company or a farm, like you're not going to grow the same thing for 200 years or make the same thing for 200 mm-hmm. years. You have to, you know, right. pivot at some point. Yeah. Uh, let's take a quick break. Um, I think when we come back, we're going to try some uh, yerba mate. We got it chilling down and talk a little bit about, um, I think we should talk a little bit about how we drink what we drink because there's some interesting you mentioned a gourd david but we're going to get more into what the gourd's all about so we will be right back my name is brandon Hoy, co-owner of roberta's a super duper awesome place Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Who's David? I'm Slick. I'm from Austin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we're who, who is David? Are we back? We're back. Who is David? David's here. Um, yes, so, Katie, do you want to grab um, one of the cans that's yeah, chilling do. down? We'll start with that. Um, so... I think most of us are familiar. There you go. We're familiar with the yellow can, the Guayaquil yerba mate. Yes. 
So here we have the sparkling grapefruit ginger. David, can you tell us a little bit about sort of like the cl- uh, classic, I don't know if, if that's the right term, but the like, classic yerba mate flavor and then the different flavors that you can buy now um, in the cans? Sure. Well, we have, if I can remember correctly, 11 cans now because we had five of the, the larger size that are non carbonated and there's like a couple there's rebel berry there's blue foria there's lemon elation orange exuberance and enlightenment and then there's then there was three sparkling cans one of which we're trying now the grapefruit ginger which is an agave stevia blend which has half the sweetness and there's the classic gold which is designed to be the replacement for cola like a, a truly organic cola that was tamarind ginger lime and prune juice like to give it body and then there was also a uh, pomegranate and um, those ones are those ones are sparkling, twelve ounce. We came out with new three new unsweetened ones in the same size can that are also they're all half as sweet as the big cans. Mm-hmm. And that's a blackberry mint, a ginger sage, and the lemon limon. Um, because we are, I can't I can't not say that because we haven't been drinking spirits. Like one of the things that really changed when we introduced the sparkling cans is the ability to do mixers. Yeah. And you know I've been playing music for a lot of years and and with my band we always open up having mate cocktails yerba cocktails it's one of the this is blake david oh, this is sorry, blake. sorry we got blake on the other side of the glass that's yeah that's david yeah, yeah. no Hi. no we got to do the show we'll see you at five six six blake blake was holding your seat for you okay anyway it was warm and i got here that was yeah good. exactly blake is good um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> Blake, Blake is uh, overextending a little bit. And because we're enjoying spirits at, at Freehold next week when they're doing, we're doing a number of events there and they're going to do cocktails. And so like, for example, you'll mix the grapefruit ginger with a gin. I always mix the classic gold with tequila or whiskey. I think they'll be doing it with a reposado. And then lima limon, like a vodka, it's like a on the rocks of vodka. So it's nice. very versatile. And for my myself, like I like to be loose and lucid. And when you're able to like have a cocktail that picks you up and you feel clean and clear and you can connect, but you're also loose, it's kind of the point. So I didn't want to like glaze over it since we're all enjoying a nice. No, I love that drink. Loose that and loose. I would feel like a bad later if I didn't actually let people know how much I enjoy that. But getting, <laughs> I mean, the flavors are there to have fun with, right? You totally. Can, yeah. Oh, and, and I like that it's not. It's, it doesn't have to be either or. Like either non-alcoholic drinks or. Um, alcoholic beverages. I think there's a lot of people right now, like our good friend Julia Bainbridge is working on a non-alcoholic um, co- like cocktail book. And she goes back and forth with, is it a, don't use the word mocktail or like, are we going with zero proof? Who knows? But it's, there's a rise of, of that being an option. But I think a lot of people are saying, like Andrew Friedman went out, he's one of our hosts and he was saying, I had to go to a few dinners because that's what he does. He writes about chefs. And he said, so I had a drink at one restaurant and then I went to the next restaurant and I needed to just like slow the pace down and they had like a nice non-alcoholic menu. So I think it's nice to be able to figure out what you want at any given point of the evening and and you can have either something that's delicious with no alcohol and then you can switch back to drinking wine or beer or a nice cocktail. Mm -hmm. Part of it is too is like, you know, you're drinking mate during the day and I usually drink my gourd hot in the morning and then if I'm going to drink mate in the afternoon or evening I need the alcohol in it to have the crescendo so that I will actually come down you also uh, enjoy sleeping yeah it's like I, I know I just like it, it's all about timing yeah. the evening and so like I like having a drink or two in the evening especially if I'm playing music 
Tell us more about your band. <laughs> the Hilltop Pranksters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, you know, we, we play on island where we live a lot. And I don't need to, I'm not here to talk about that. <laughs> but I'm just giving you the insights that are appropriate. We'll have to have you on Snacky Tunes, our music show. Yeah. We can talk, talk about that later. Um, well, speaking of that, so for the other guys in the room, um, when you're not drinking your own beer or spirits, are there, what, what do you guys like to be drinking? Well, at the distillery, we drink a lot of coffee, and in the summertime, cold, cold brew mate. Yeah. Cold brew? Yeah, cold like brew. Like day Like you brew it cold and drink the terere? Um, I don't know what that means, but it's possible. We do uh, like cold infusion, like cold brew coffee. Yeah. But it's, do, when, you, when you cold brew mate, it's called terere. We it's do an, that, yeah. Wow, yeah. cool, nice. How do you do it? Um, I have a recipe. I could share it with you. And for any of the listeners out there, DM yeah. Never Sinks we'll Put spirits. it in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like to it? see it. Yeah, yeah, that it is so good. Indeed. That's how the in, so it's that's a great say. point. That's how the indigenous Guayaquil and Guarani people use it as the base of their medicine system, right? You go to the the medicine women at the market in, in Paraguay. They're called jujeras, and they sell weeds, which they call jujos. So if you have like a, a problem with your stomach, let's say, and you say me duele mi estómago, you go talk to her. And she would recommend these herbs. And then you, she takes the herbs and she crushes them up in the mortero. And then you take those crushed herbs and you put them in your thermos of cold water and it cold steeps. And then you pour that, it's called remedio, like remedy, mm-hmm. through the bullhorn, which has the yerba in it. And you drink it. And when you do that, it's called terere. When you do that just straight up like this with hot water through the mate, it's called mate. Hot mate is mate. Cold mate is terere. Do you make? Do you do any cold brewing for Guayaki? Um, like, we're n- according to law, you're not allowed to cold brew for health and safety, oh. so we can't legally like cold brew something and then put it in that can. Oh. Otherwise, it'd have to be like a refrigerated, like a raw product. Oh, I see. And then Barry, what about you? I know that you like Shaxbury cider because that's how we met you. But what else? That was going to be my answer. Oh, sorry, I stole it. From <laughs> that's my bad. That's my bad. Um, it varies. Generally, low alcohol things, uh, light, dry, a little bit of acidity in it. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about the new uh, Shaxbury shorts cans? I haven't had them yet, me, me but I, I really like them. I've, I text Luke about label material a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Any, I'll find out for you. I haven't gotten the answer yet, but... What, what what do you mean? Find out. What oh no! Like the the new have the new labels that they yeah. have on the cans. Yeah. They're like the most luxurious thing yeah. to hold. Oh, the the texture of them. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I see, oh. I've only seen photos. Oh, I held the new. We have yet to hold one in our <laughs> oh, cans. It's like, great. I it's cannot an, wait. It's another level of an experience. Oh my gosh! So. I they're just they're the best. Yeah. They they have new cider in uh, like miniature shorter cans and they're called shorts, but then the label has a giraffe on it, yes. which I think is just eight, eight ounce stubby. Eight ounce? Yeah. yeah. Are, they, are they slim and it's, tall no, or no, stubby? It's the sh- it's like half of a normal can, twelve yeah, ounce like cocaine. So the one st- I know which one. Those are yeah. that's a cool shape. It's great. It's so cute. Yeah, and that's kind of good too because you sometimes get through a cider, a can of cider, and you're like, you tap. It's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of of um. Design, that's an interesting topic, too, because I think that every all, all the different products here have, like, very, you know, beautiful design on the cans. What goes into thinking about what label you're going to put, what design you're going to put on a new product for anybody? All of my ADD. 
<laughs> what do you mean by that? No, so we have one. Uh, my friend Dan Hamilton is our artist. Uh, he's done all of our labels and shirts and posters and whatever it is uh, since we started. And uh, some of it's very whimsical where you have an idea that you know what you want and others it's just kind of like coming up with something random and uh yeah it's very chaotic most people have like concise brands where it's like i know that look and i just bank on dan's art being identified as dan's i just have a little anecdote so i was emailing with barry this week about the happy hour coming up after the show and i was like barry what what beer are you gonna send i want to make some signs and he was he was like oh sorry i should have sent this to you already it's a czech style lager and then he just said yeesh with an exclamation point and i was like i love barry he's so dramatic and then i was like let me look up what this beer is called oh yeesh is the name of the beer (laughs) yeesh so yeah, if you like you, and then it, I fell into a hole of looking at all of your um, the artwork for your labels, which is like a corner. Like a, I love how many different styles of design you guys have for all the different Thank you. types of beer. So I think I, I recommend everyone look at that. It's really fun. <laughs> we love design. Um, okay, so we are running out of time a little bit, so we're gonna jump into our trivia portion of the show. It's time. Okay, so. Uh oh. We gotta cover the trivia rules. So, which are that it's yell it out trivia. Yes, you're all on the same team. Yes, our trivia theme for this week, with help from our esteemed intern Oscar, is beverage trivia because you're all in beverage, beverages. Mind blowing. Not that complicated. That's the theme. Um, okay, it's all different types of beverages. So, are you ready? Yes. Are you ready? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yes. Question number one. Which popular American beverage was originally marketed as the, quote, esteemed brain tonic and intellectual beverage? Coca-Cola? That is correct. <laughs> nice work. Question number two. What does the acronym VVSOP mean on a cognac bottle? Oh, I should really know this. Very, very special. (laughs) That is correct so far. Very, very special. O-P. Of Providence. Of producer? No. (laughs) The correct answer is very, very special old pale. Why isn't it in French? I don't know. I wouldn't have guessed that. Oscar, do you have any insights on that? No, I just thought it was really funny. (laughs) (laughs) Question number three. Which drink did Bach enjoy so much that he wrote a cantata for it? Absence. No. It's not alcoholic. Tea. Close. It's an upper. It's coffee. Coffee. Correct. (laughs) Read that lyric, though. (laughs) Oh, Oh, this is... Was this the lyric? Or a quote? (laughs) Some other German dude wrote lyrics. Okay, this the bonus lyric is, If I couldn't three times a day be allowed to drink my little cup of coffee, in my anguish I will turn into a shriveled up roast goat. Wow. Wow. That was a hard question. There were opportunities for a rhyme scheme there. Hey, <laughs> latte. But the guy totally missed it. He went with goat. She yeah. didn't were goat there right. lattes in the time of Bach? There's been lattes since milk was I question that, Barry. (laughs) Question number four. How do I pronounce this? 
Ira- Irag? Oh, Arag. Arag is the traditional... Arag. 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 They're going to know it, I think. Arag is is the traditional national beverage of Mongolia, but what is it? Star anise. No. No? It's a beverage. Oh, black is brandy. It's spelled A-I-R-A-G. Oh. Uh, It's not what we were thinking. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say it's something dairy-related. It is dairy-related. Okay. Is it uh, yak butter? Yak You're butter close. Tea. Yak butter tea, yeah. It's, or, isn't oh, it, it's fermented really yak milk, right? It's no, like, no, no, no. You're, you're very close. It's not a yak. They do. I think they do serve it with yak butter, so that was interesting. Oh. That guess that. Uh, uh, yeah. It's a different animal, though, but it is the ferment, fermented milk of what animal? Go. Where's Derek? No, it's the... Uh, the antelope? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> it's, it's like the Mongols' favorite animal. Horse? Yes. Oh, okay. Fermented Four. mare's milk. <laughs> Has anyone here had it? No. I've no. had it. That's awesome. It tastes weird. This is a really hard trivia. <laughs> All right, question number five. Pruno is the alcoholic beverage made from some combination of fresh fruit, juices, hard candy, sugar, and sometimes bread that is produced where? Prison. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> also known as... Uh, question number six. Last question. This is my favorite one. Which U.S. president became a licensed bartender at the age of 23 in the early 19th century? Harrison. No. You want to give the hint? I wasn't going to give the hint. I just thought it was funny. He denied this as well until they like found his license and put it in a museum. So it was controversial at the but time. But arguably, I think... Universally stated as a top five U.S. president. If we that, the hint is Eisenhower. No. Uh, FDR. No. Early nineteenth century. Nineteenth. Uh, oh. Yes. Top five president, guys. Maybe even top two. Lincoln. Yes. Oh. Safe to say, top five. We all agreed on that in the office, so we thought it was safe to put it in. Twelve cents a pint. That's good. <laughs> Uh, well, guys, I'm proud to say you have won trivia. Congratulations, and thank you for playing. We scarcely deserve that. But. <laughs> We're all winners You could here. have gotten them all wrong, and you still win because you brought us drinks. Yep. At least no one knew about the prison hooch, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> no one's got passed. Are we serving uh, mare milk at the uh, happy hour? Yes, yes. Oh. Get happy. Actually, I, I had it at an event with um, Mark Kurlansky. He wrote the book Milk. Uh, he he covered like every kind of milk, and it was at Mofad. And so some someone that worked at Mofad went to find the one place in Brighton Beach that sold fermented mare's milk of to course. have at the event. I and I was like, well, I have to try it. Can that go in the show notes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the source. We're gonna yes. have a. How was it though? <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I'll tell you after. Yeah. All right. Uh, my real thoughts. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming. Thank you guys. Thank, thank you. you. Thank that you. That was a, a pleasure. Come, Come back, back anytime. anytime. Yes. Good, good synchronicity, Kat. Um, okay. Well, we have to go get to this event because we have to drink all the things we've been talking about. If anyone's listening live live today because we did air an hour early, you still have time to come to Roberta's for our happy hour and cookbook sale, which benefits our summer membership drive. Amazing drink specials. So get over here. Uh, I know it's raining, but we have a tent. It's all going to be great. Uh, So we'll see you soon. Send us out. Uh, Okay. Um, Thanks so much. 
everybody for being on our show today. I was not prepared for that. <laughs> I want to say a huge thank you to David, Yoni, Noah, and Barry for sharing your drinks and spirits and spirit with us. And thanks again to Oscar, Amanda, Hannah, and Kat. We will see you next Thursday. No, we won't. We'll be, we won't be here. JK, JK, we're going to be in Denver. See you in two Thursdays. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.